On today's episode of Secrets to Scaling Your E-Commerce Brand, I got a chance to chat with Byron Walker from Survival Frog. Oh man, what a conversation. I was not prepared for such an incredible conversation with an incredible human being. Byron has been through it all and you guys are going to get to hear all about how revenue absolutely tanked in 2016 uh, due to some political circumstances and how Byron was able to recover going from a very high revenue company company to an incredibly profitable company. So I hope you guys get a ton out of this one. At Mindful Marketing, we know that you want your brand to be successful. In order to do that though, you need to predictably acquire new customers. The problem is Facebook and Google are only getting more expensive, which makes you feel unsure of whether your brand will survive. We believe that building a community of loyal and repeat customers is the answer. We understand how hard it is to predictably grow a brand, which is why we have created a system using our own mid-seven-figure e-commerce brand as a test case. And here's how we do it. Number one, we execute a profitable ads strategy. Number two, we build a brand-owned loyal base of repeat customers. And number three, we grow exponentially predictably and consistently so download our free sales launch checklist at mindfulmarketing.co slc so you can stop having sales the bomb and instead grow your revenue predictably and exponentially hey guys i am here with byron walker from survival frog byron welcome to secrets of scaling your e-commerce brand hey thanks for having me glad to be here yeah, totally. I'm really looking forward to diving into this conversation today. There's there's a lot to, to go over, and I think there's going to be a lot of value, especially uh, in the turnaround space, right? I don't know anybody who's listening who's ever lost, you know, 60 to 70% of their business and then turned it around, or, or maybe you're in that nosedive right now, and maybe this will be inspiring for you. So Byron, for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. So um, I own an e-commerce business. I own survivalfrog.com and we've been doing it for 12 years and, you know, started off with info publishing and it moved into physical products. And, you know, now we've got, you know, several hundred SKUs in our store and uh, things are just moving along really nicely now. Uh, there are a few ups and downs along the way, though. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And that's been a great episode today. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let's get into it. So you guys started 12 years ago in the info space. I'd love to actually hear about that transition. That's super interesting to me because I think a lot of I've actually talked to this uh, about this quite a bit on this podcast is adding on that info type product onto physical product brands, right? That there's a lot of yeah. a lot of room in there once you own a customer to be able to sell something like that to them as well. Can you talk to me about the transition the the other way yeah exactly it is the other way uh so we started off as just pure an affiliate so i was just promoting other info products online through paid marketing and getting a commission and finally kind of redid the math so this is early days of just figuring out what is online marketing but totally. we did the math and figured out wow even though i was on i was doing it on clickbank i was getting 75 percent of the gross as paid out commission which is large but then i figured out that last 25 percent is actually where all the gravy's at once you do paid marketing so mm. instead of being an affiliate we launched our own 
guides and sold it. So this is in a, how to build solar panels, how to build wind turbines, how to survive different disasters. So we created our own content and started selling it ourselves and then had other affiliates promoting ours. And, and that went really, really well for many years. And we had some big, you know, out of the park home runs with some of these info products. And, you know, it was like, you know, 20 million a year. It was some big numbers. On info. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. just some really, really big numbers. But, and, and by the way, the margins are really nice, <laughs> but what happened I've got, was, I've got friends in info products and they're like, oh yeah, you know crazy. what our margin is? Like a uh, 99%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, your gross margin, obviously like yeah, a little, yeah. yeah. But it got harder and harder to duplicate that success. And okay. you know, this is when YouTube was coming out. A lot of free content was coming out. And we just found ourselves, we saw the, the market trend, at least in the survival space, heading in the wrong direction for us as info publishers. And so we started introducing physical products. And uh, that just led down that path even further. Then, you know, we started an e-commerce store. We started initially drop shipping and we pulled back and brought everything in house. Yeah. Um, so we went, we moved from info to physical just because of what the market was really pushing us into. And, you know, we had to adjust. I'm glad we did because now I know a few other companies that are still doing info and it's an uphill battle it really is. And it's very hypey too, very screaming from the rooftops and, and uh, it's hard to do that year after year and it's know, it's cyclical too right it. with with yes. info products there's a lot of cycles in there too right where you're doing it's it's launch 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 right yeah 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 so okay so let's talk about that transition so so you transitioned over to physical products and that's obviously what this podcast is about and that's what we talk about yeah. here what was the transition like from drop shipping right over into actually managing that did you guys actually use a warehouse did you use a 3pl what was that transition like so initially and it was a slow transition and even to this day we still have drop ship products we do yeah, that totally. with the products that are usually large and cumbersome, but also we only sell one or two a month. Okay. But it adds value to our website. It's kind of like our website now. It would be weird if we didn't have, a, say, a four person tent on a survival camping store, but we only sell a couple a month. So yeah. it doesn't make sense to warehouse them. Uh, but that transition was, you know, it's actually kind of painful because, you know, we went into dropship and then realized because of the margins and how we at least had it set up, it just wasn't working. Like there was just, it wasn't producing the profits we needed to run the business. Yeah. So we started bringing things in house. And so we did where we did warehouse, I'll call it warehouse, but warehouse and ship out our own SKUs. So that was probably initially like 10 SKUs. And then it moved into 20 and then a hundred and then the warehouse, we were actually in an office building. And so we just kept busting down the walls until we couldn't bust them down anymore and it went to a different level. So we were on three different floors in this office. Oh building. my gosh, on f different. Yeah. So so the warehouse that our clothing companies are in right now, uh, we have a very similar setup to that. And we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're waiting on our 10,000 square foot warehouse that's being yeah. built right now. <laughs> but like totally that same sort of idea where it's like, yeah. well, it's this room moving you over into this room. And mm -hmm. oh, that's great. I love it. I'm yeah. with you. So we, we kept doing that. And, and that's a painful, well, I'll just say in general, it's painful on cash right? Um, uh -huh. Because you're buying that inventory up front and you're not selling it for, you know, a couple of weeks to a couple of months later. And so it is painful, but we made that transition and then eventually went into our own warehouse. We had a 12 you know, thousand square foot warehouse that we went into and that brought everything right in line. It was really organized and we had, you know, 
It was also an employee office. And that's where things got a little bit more streamlined for us. And we're able to tweak the margins and just grow the business. And by the time we were in that other, you know, our actual warehouse, you know, we're doing about 9 million a year in revenue and 500 plus SKUs and you know, 27 and then, employees. And, you know, it's pretty cool and fun business to, you know, operate. And then things just kept going up and up and up and into the sunset, right? No, not quite. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, we, we hit a brick wall. Um, at, uh, it was basically the end of uh, 2017. And the survival market is interesting in that it is cyclical based on who is in um, as president. So when there's a Democrat in the office as president, then typically survival market goes up. When there's a Republican, why 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 is that? Down. Well, is, is there, there a reason for it? But th- think of like guns. Guns do the same thing. Okay. And, totally. and so when when there's a Republican in the office, most of the buyers of survival gear are conservative. Okay. Yeah, totally. So yeah, yeah. They're, they're like, Hey, our guys in office, life's good. We don't have to worry. We don't have to prep as much. We don't have to buy guns. Cause he's not going to, he or she, you know, isn't going to make them illegal. Whereas the Democrat office opts it. They're freaked out, you yeah. know, going to take the guns away and they're going to destroy the country. So let's start prepping. And so that's, you know, the ups and downs. So when Trump got elected, it didn't hit us right away. But within about, you know, nine months or so, it hit us like a brick wall. Wow. We, yeah, we lost 70% of our revenue uh, over like the next 70% of your revenue from, yeah. from literally external factors that like, I mean, I, I'm all about, everyone knows, love seven habits of highly effective people. Number one, first habit, proactivity, right? Everything is, is on you, right? Yeah, but there are certain cases where there are market factors that are just beyond your control. I think what I love about this story is that this isn't the end. Yeah. <laughs> 2017 <laughs> is not the end. Yeah, it felt like it. <laughs> oh my gosh, so. I can't even imagine losing 70% of your business when you have all of these costs, right? Yeah. There's yeah. fixed costs, like that 12,000 square foot warehouse doesn't go away. Yeah, well, and eventually it did. And so we did uh, just a massive turnaround and every department was completely revamped and streamlined. And so some of the big moving parts, you know, we went 550 SKUs. We cut that down to 150. Wow. Um, and you you wrote a book on this, correct? Like how to yeah. do a turnaround? Yeah. So um, exactly. here it is. So the yeah. small business turnaround plan. And I'd never written a book, but as I was going through this, I'm in this group called EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my foreign mates was like, Byron, you've got to document this. You have to write a book about it. So I started. And when I got done with the turnaround, which we'll get to in a moment, I wrote the book. And I'm glad I did because there's just nothing out there for small business owners. There's more corporate mm. turnaround stuff. There's yeah. not small business owners. So Oh, totally. Uh, Cor- I mean, corporate turnaround, you could, th- there's tons of stuff definitely. out there for that. Yeah. And we, yeah. we sort of understand that process, but it's true. It's different, right? It's, it's, it's a different size ship that you're moving. Yeah. So- some of the big moving parts, uh, skew reduction. Uh, we unfortunately went from 27 employees down to five. That was oh super gosh. painful. And that was in yeah. a series of layoffs. And and how we did that was by reorganizing the whole company. So, you know, we had an IT department with three people. We literally, we cut away some platforms that weren't performing that well and just simplified it down to just Shopify. We had two, we had three people in accounting. And so we redid that and automated everything. So all these departments changed. What else? We, we increased our gross margins by 50%. So that was a so huge I love, I love that. 
So, so, and, and that was, that was part of that, right. Is realizing that there was efficiencies yeah. and you don't realize that until you have to, right. When you have money and the money's flowing, it's just like, yeah, sure. We'll hire this person. It's going to make our life easier when you could have just been efficient in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was efficiencies. And in fact, so here, here are the five things that we kind of boiled down what we did. Cool. I'd love to hear that. 50% increase in gross margin. I mean, just to pat ourselves on the back, that's a huge number, right? Oh, it's yeah. an important massive. number. And 50% is massive. So here's what we did. The biggest moving part was going, I already mentioned this, from 550 SKUs, we went down to 170. And you can imagine which 170 we kept. They were the highest margins, the most sold, the easiest products with the least refunds, um, the ones we could buy, you know, on we didn't have to buy, you know, 10,000, we could buy a thousand at a time. So yeah. all the best of the best, okay? It's, and it's an 80-20 rule, right? So we focused on, of all of our SKUs, the 20% of our SKUs that are producing 80% of the profits or of the revenue. So that one was huge. 550 SKUs down to 170. Right away, our gross margin went up. Then we raised the prices on those 170 SKUs. And if you're in a downturn, you're like, well, I can't raise prices. We're in a downturn. I get it. I had those thoughts too, but we did it. We raised the prices. By the way, no one complained. The third thing we did was we reduced the shipping cost of getting the products to us. At the time we were airing everything over from overseas. And so we behaved, you know, we did better. We forecasted better. And then we reduced our costs there by bringing in containers or LCLs instead. Then we looked at our ship out to our customers and figured out we were losing money. It's funny how many things you actually dig into the numbers. You're like, holy crap, we've been losing money this whole time. So we raised our prices on shipping out to the customer. Okay. And then lastly, we stopped discounting as much. Okay. Because when you have, let's say a $20 product and you discount it five bucks, well, that's $5 right off the gross margin. It hurts a lot. Okay. So instead we would give a, so we would, instead of going from 20 down to 15, we'd say the product's still 20, but we're going to give away a free $5 product. Well, that's $5 retail. So that thing costs us like a buck right? Or less. And so now our margins get hit, but just by a dollar, not by the $5 that we would, you know, discount as a dollar amount. So those things all kind of pull together. And lo and behold, we we increased our gross margin by 50%. So that was a big one, honestly. And do you walk, do you walk through those steps in the book? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We do that. And, And here's another one in the book that we cover. And that is not all revenue is created equally. Because so I had this CFO at the time and he just kept giving me, he went through all the books and dug into everything. And his final conclusion was, you just need to sell more to get out of this mess. Okay. Well, guess what? Next month we did. We increased one of, I had five different revenue channels and I increased one. So yeah, we actually sold more. We lost more money that month. Wow. Here's why. The one that I increased, we were actually negative on. So we had we have Amazon revenue source, we have Shopify, we have direct response. That was our problem child. Okay. Of all these different revenue, B2B, we have these revenue sources. The direct response one was losing us money. Yeah, I was bringing in leads, but losing us. So we increased the wrong. What, sorry, what kind of direct response are you talking about? So we would run to like ClickBank or ClickFunnels, and there were long form sales pages. So when I oh, say gotcha. that, I mean, create painfully long sales pages that look so ugly, no navigation anywhere. It's not e-commerce. 
Okay, it's struct response. So I know, yeah, I know that. exactly what you're talking about. I, I personally, I don't love those for physical product stores. I actually don't really love going through massive sales pages anyway, but. You know what? I hate them. I cringe when I look at them, but here's the thing. They convert sometimes two or three times better. Yeah. Okay? So there's some reasoning behind it. Anyways, so once we looked at all that, we are like, holy crap, we're actually losing money on this one channel, okay? Yeah. And so yeah, yeah, when yeah. we eliminated that channel, our profits and the whole health of the company went up because we reduced it. We actually on purpose. So we went from 9 million down to 3 million. We, when we finally recovered, we're at 3 million in revenue. Okay. Okay. Well, $1 million of that was self-inflicted on purpose. We cut a million dollars of revenue out of the company. Oh my and, by, gosh. and that was, it's all this mental game when you're going through this downturn. So it was very difficult yeah. to do. But when we did that, all of a sudden we could see it, the profits, you know, the numbers started moving in the right direction. So on the P&L, they look better, but guess what? I was also able to get rid of my entire IT department. Okay. I was able to simplify the business in multiple ways that besides the, you know, the rough P&L for the revenue sources, I was able to cut a ton of overhead by doing that. So not all revenue is the same. You've got to chunk it down and look at each revenue source independently and see how it, what's that adding to the contribution margin or what's it adding to the bottom line? Because we found out we had one source that was killing us, so we got rid of it. Wow, wow. Yeah, and that's knowing your unit economics is so important, right? When it comes to that, and especially when you're forced to, right? With the turnaround like that, you were absolutely forced to. It's either bankruptcy or turnaround. Yeah. Well, and I'd like to point something out. So as I whip out these stats and these KPIs and the financials, and um, I am pretty good at the financials now, but that's just because my back was against the wall. I had to figure it out yeah. before this downturn. Yeah, I would read the P&L the end of the month, but I was nowhere near where I am now. Mm. Contribution margin was something foreign to me, you know, independent revenue sources, all this stuff was new to me at the time, but when you're forced to dig in and figure it out, you, you can. And, and back to the book, I really explain it for entrepreneurs who aren't financial wizards, how to read the books and how to forecast and how to mm. get yourself not just out of a downturn, but also just how to optimize your company for more profit too. Totally, totally. So I'm assuming that you're not working with that CFO anymore. Is that correct? I literally pulled an all-nighter that night, dividing up my revenue channels, and I was just flabbergasted. Next morning, fired him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's that's something. We have an incredible CFO. He's actually one, uh, one of my business partners in a couple of ventures. And finding a good fractional CFO, you yeah. don't need, like, honestly, until you get to, I mean, I don't even know how big you have to be. 20, 30 million before you're going to actually have a full-time CFO. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can go controller before that, but that having that fractional CFO to look over your shoulder and be able to break things out like that. Like we've, we've got reports like that for every single sales channel, every single product, because if we don't know those numbers, you make one wrong move mm-hmm. and, and you like, like you said, you're, just be losing money, right? And cash may look good at points, but you really got to know those numbers. Yeah. And I hope no one listened to what I said and said, well, I'm not going to hire a CFO or fractional CFO. Absolutely not what I'm saying. And I agree with you. You don't need a CFO. You need a fractional CFO. Yeah. Maybe even you pay him once a month to come in and look at, you know, you don't have That's to what do we a do. lot yeah, of time Once a month. Them. Yeah. But I think it's a critical element because you have to have someone smarter than you, all right, looking at your books and then going back and forth with you and making sure your books are accurate because we found out our books weren't even right half the time, right? So you need that expertise. I completely agree with you on that. Yeah, absolutely. I love it too for this. Sorry, this is 
a little bit tangential, but I love it for forecasting, right? There are cash mm-hmm. crunches as physical product companies that you will hit. I We are in one of those right now. And I knew a year and a half ago that I was going to be in this cash crunch. I knew that there was, it was just this massive output in April of 2021. And so do you think that I'm sweating right now? Absolutely not. We got the cash for it. Like we got the 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 money that we needed for that crunch. Yeah. And then we're going to be fine. So it's, so that again, super important to know all of those numbers. Yeah. Let, let me just touch on that real quick. So there's two in my head, there's two ways of forecasting. There's this PL profit and loss forecasting, which is really important, especially the big moving parts and gross margin and reducing costs and your labor efficiencies and all these things. So really important to forecast that out. But there's the one that you're kind of talked about, which is cash flow forecasting, which is totally different because we're probably most, I think all of us probably on accrual based accounting. Okay. Yes. Well, accrual based accounting is the right way of doing it. And I like it but it sure makes cash flow weird. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. you have to have a different set of reports that are cash flow forecasting. And for me, it was what I called my sleeping pill. So when I was going through my downturn, I mean, quite honestly, there were just, I, I was like, my thought was like, yeah, we're probably going out of business, but I could look at the cash flow forecast and say, but we're sure as hell not going out of business in the next two weeks. And I'd be able to disconnect and go to sleep, wake up the next morning and start the fight again. Because without the cash flow forecast before, because I didn't have that before the downturn, okay? A good friend of mine yeah. suggested I do it. And before that, I would I would be up all night thinking, oh, tomorrow could be the last day. I'm going to walk in and there's going to be some bill or something that happened that we didn't see coming. It's going to smack us and boom, we're out of business. Yeah. The cash flow forecast gives you that visibility, like you said, a year in advance or even honestly, 60 days in advance is where it gets clear. It's hard past that, but it gives you that visibility into like, Hey, I see what's coming and I see a problem coming or I see good things coming, but you're not worried that tomorrow's just all going to end. Cause that's how you feel when you're in the downturn. You just, you feel you're not sure of a whole lot. Cash flow totally. forecast gives you that confidence. And if you're only looking at P&Ls, like great, you you could have made 200 grand last month in profit, but you also have 190 of that tied up in your inventory, right? Like, and that's what a P&L is going to yeah. tell you. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's no way to run things. But yeah. unfortunately, a lot of people are running their business like that, right? And and it's very hard to blame people when, you know, not a lot of people who start e-com companies um, have MBAs, right? And they don't know this stuff. So we're all just learning it. So there's there's absolutely no judgment. It's more just like, just if you can do that, if you're listening to this, you know, really think about that because it's so important um, to know, especially those cash flow numbers. Yeah. Well, Jordan, you just said something that's huge. You could be showing a profit on your PL and you can go out of business. Well, what <laughs> the hell, right? Well, it's because you ran out of cash. And when you run out of cash, game over. Yeah. Okay. Well, by the way, I did the opposite when I was going through my downturn. I kept showing these massive losses on the PL. Okay. But we still had money in the bank. And at mm. one point, I was like, what's going on? And it was just that I had inventory, I was selling. Yeah. One last point. So the back to the 550 SKUs down to 170, okay? Whatever, 280, whatever that difference is, that number of SKUs that we cut away, we liquidated below our cost and we had cash in the bank. So we had mm. all this cash coming in, but we were literally selling it for less than what we bought it for or right around there, okay? And so on the P&L, it shows horrible. We're losing all this money on the P&L, but who cares at the end of the day, we got to keep the lights on and we have cash yeah. in the bank. And so it was a really strong strategy for us. 
Awesome. Awesome. Byron, we are speaking the same language here. I love sure. it. This, Yeah, this is great. I can't believe how long we've already talked for, but I, I got to ask you the question that I ask everybody on this podcast. What is your secret to scaling? Secret wait, to actually, scaling. wait, Byron, before that, I need the good news. Did you guys ever get back up to the to the level okay. where you were before? <laughs> All right. So let's finish that real quick. So we went from 9 million down to 3 million. Okay. Very painful ride, full of emotional, just roller coaster is awful. That's why I did the book. But when we were at the 3 million, when we were done, here's the kicker. We were just as profitable at 3 million as we were at 9 million. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. This is because why revenue is such a, yeah. it's just such a number that is hilarious. It's Mike, Mike McCallowitz, Profit First, talks about this all the time. I, I call it the swinging, you know what number, right? Oh yeah, we did 9 million, right? You're just like, you just try like, it makes you feel good to say that, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it comes down to profit. <laughs> right? yeah. So we landed at 3 million, just the, for the dollar amount, the same dollar amount as before, but basically we tripled the percentage of net profit. Yeah. And we wrote that, that was like May of 19, uh, 2019. And so we just wrote that all the way through 2019, very profitable, small, nimble, efficient, a team of five people. And then we rolled into 2020 and well- you can imagine what a, a global pandemic does to a survival company. So boom. You were in the right, right business, Byron. <laughs> yeah. But then we were right back up where we were a couple of years before. However, now we're, we have more efficiencies. We're more profitable. Everything is just way, way better. And even though that downturn was quite literally the hardest thing I've ever gone through, business, personal, anything. It was awful. Sure. But I'm so glad it happened because without it, I can't even imagine like my life is better. My business is better. Everything's better because we went through that pain and agony, but got better and became much better, you know, running a business. Hmm. Wow. That's really amazing. So I'm going to go back to the question now. What, what is your secret to scaling? Well, for me, it's all about data. Okay. Uh, because how we scale is we take one or two products that have really high margins. Okay. And we push them out in a direct response format. Okay. Um, to pay traffic. So our whole goal is to bring in as many new people as we can at break even. Well, we might even go. Are negative. you doing free, free plus shipping offers? No, because I found those don't back out. Those customers, even though they're paying something for shipping, whatever it is, th th those people just don't buy the same. Uh, oh, interesting. Lifetime, val lifetime value sucks on those is what I found. Really, okay. really low. So no, we just do a normal $20 product, but we usually get them to buy three, two or three. So the AOV is around $60, $70, but that pays for itself, okay, on a break-even basis. And so we bring in, let, let me put it a different way. I would rather break even and bring in a thousand new buyers a day than to be highly profitable, but only bring in 200 buyers a day. Gotcha. Okay. Because I don't make money on the front end bringing, acquiring new customers. Okay. Yeah. I break even. And then once they're in my ecosystem, that's lifetime value. That's how I'm going to grow the profit. But yeah. to me, that's the formula for scaling. Bring in as many new, new customers as you can close to break even with paid marketing. And then on the back end, you monetize it through lifetime value. That's it. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And well, especially in the space that you're in, honestly, I'm just getting some free consulting for one of my acquisitions right now. So I'm uh, really appreciating that. <laughs> awesome. This is great. Uh, we're going to move on to our lightning round. I've got three more questions for you. First question, favorite tool or app that you're using right now? 
I don't know if this would count, but I'm just going to say SMS. We're finding some great success with SMS. We moved from Attentive to Clavio. Okay. Because that's that's where our e-com, that's where our email is. Yeah. And I don't have data yet to support it, but it just seems like it just <laughs> keeping it all in one house makes so much sense. So I love the fact that the, the, the revenue we're seeing from SMS has been really, really strong. Awesome. I'm going to follow up with you on uh, at some point to see what, because uh, that's one platform we haven't uh, tested. Sure. So we've moved back from Attentive uh, with all of our businesses and at our agency back over to PostScript. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to uh, at some point follow up and see what that, that looks like. No, nobody that I know yet has taken the dive into uh, Clavio's SMS. So that's great. Great oh, to know. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk at 30 days. <laughs> well, their, their pricing just got so much better. That was the big thing at first. The first, their pricing made no sense when they were, when they were betaing out to yeah. agencies. So awesome. Favorite podcast or audiobook that you're listening to right now? I'd say Roland Frazier's uh, podcast. You know, that's, my favorite podcast in the entire world. Yeah, I forget the he name is of the podcast, but business he is lunch. wicked smart. Yeah, business lunch. He's too smart. <laughs> yeah, he is so smart and he brings on big hitters and he asks the best questions ever. Yeah, he does. He does. Every every episode, I'm like, oh my God. I mean, we're doing these two acquisitions right now. There's no way I would have done them without hearing Roland Frazier talk about how simple it is to do and how it, it can just grow so exponentially. And now I realize, I'm like, you really changed. Like, because when you have those mindset shifts, it's incredible what you can do. And Roland's a real deal. He's, he's yeah. a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. Last question. Uh, maybe this will be the same answer. If you could sit down with anybody for an hour, have some coffee, tea, beer, wine, who would it be? You know, it's interesting. I don't know the person, okay? But here's who's here's who they are. They run an e-commerce business that's somehow very similar to mine, okay? But meaning, you know, uh, direct to consumer, but they run it and they're at, let's say 40 million and okay. they could just like, I want to hear, how did you get to 20, okay? Mm. And what are your afterthoughts of that? That's really, by the way, that's what I want. So here you go, universe. That's what I'm looking for. I would love to talk with someone who runs a, whatever, you know, 20 to $40 million e-commerce brand and just get inside their head and learn how did they get to that 20 million? Because we've, we keep coming up to it and going back down and keep, you know, and so I just, I want to get to that 20 million because quite honestly, I don't know if I'll want to continue running my business if we're a $40 million company, but I want to get it to there and hand it to someone who does have that skill set. Absolutely. I'll make a couple of intros after to, to a couple of guys that I think would be great. Yeah. Um, Byron, this was awesome. This was like, to me, was just a great conversation. Where can people find out more about you and more about Survival Frog? Yeah. So, you know, survivalfrog.com is our e-commerce brand. Otherwise, LinkedIn's a great place to connect with me. Uh, awesome. Just look up Byron Walker and then, um, yeah, check out the book. Um, I put a lot of, you know, uh, just my heart and soul into it. And so far, the feedback's been great for small business owners who either are struggling or, you know, just want to increase their profits. So if you just go to Amazon, it's small business turnaround plan. With, awesome. Uh, do, do you have an audio version of it as well? No, I don't. Just launched this book. So, okay. Not okay. yet. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no problem. Uh, awesome. Byron, thank you uh, so much for your time today. Awesome. Thanks, Jordan. Hey guys, we hope you really enjoyed today's episode. Can we ask you a favor? Hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode and share this with your e-commerce store owner friends. We also love reviews. So if you could leave us one on Apple Podcasts, that would mean so much to us. Just a reminder from the beginning of the episode, our team at Mindful Marketing is rapidly growing and we have room for one new brand a month that's looking to grow. Now, before you apply, please note that we're only 
only looking for businesses that are ready to scale and have the capacity and the inventory for a large influx of orders. This opportunity is only available to brands that have had at least one year of sales history and are ready for explosive growth. If this sounds like you, go to mindfulmarketing.co slash apply and start the process today. I hope you guys have a great week.